It's been our tradition at Renew uh, in the last three years. This is our fourth Christmas, I think, together. Um, to look at the events surrounding the birth of Jesus, the coming of God's Son to earth, through the tradition of the traditional lens of the, the Advent candles, which are, of course, joy, hope, peace and love. We're going to start by looking at Luke chapter 1, verses 1 to 25. Who would like to read that? Tim, that sounds great. Go for it. Many people have set out to write accounts about the events that have been fulfilled among us. They used the eyewitness reports circulating among us from the early disciples. Having carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I also decided to write an accurate account for you, most honourable Theophilus, so you can be certain of the truth of everything you were taught. When Herod was king of Judea, there was a Jewish priest named Zechariah. He was a member of the priestly order of Abijah, and his wife, Elizabeth, was also from the priestly line of Aaron. Zechariah and Elizabeth were righteous in God's eyes, careful to obey all of the Lord's commandments and regulations. They had no children, because Elizabeth was unable to conceive, and they were both very old. One day, Zechariah was serving God in the temple, for his order was on duty that week. As was the custom of the priests, he was chosen by lot to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and burn incense. While the incense was being burned, a great crowd stood outside praying. While Zechariah was in the sanctuary, an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the incense altar. Zechariah was shaken and overwhelmed with fear when he saw him. But the angel said, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. God has heard your prayer. Your wife, Elizabeth, will give you a son, and you are to name him John. You will have a great joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the eyes of the Lord. He must never touch wine or other alcoholic drinks. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before his birth, and he will turn many Israelites to the Lord their God. He will be a man with the spirit and power of Elijah. He will prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children. And he will cause those who are rebellious to accept the wisdom of the godly. Zechariah said to the angel, How can I be sure this will happen? I'm an old man now, and my wife is also well along in years. Then the angel said, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. It was he who sent me to bring you this good news. But now since you didn't believe what I said, you will be silent and unable to speak until the child is born. For my words will certainly be filled at the proper time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah to come out of the sanctuary, wondering why he was taking so long. When he finally did come out, he couldn't speak to them. Then they realized from his gestures and his signs that he must have seen a vision in the sanctuary. When Zechariah's week of service at the temple was over, he returned home. Soon afterward, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and went into seclusion for five months. How kind the Lord is, she exclaimed. He's taken away my disgrace of having no children. Thanks, Tim. So, probably a story we've read a few times before. And we're going to look at Luke chapter 1 and 2 over the next four weeks, starting with the concept of joy. So if you want to get to the next slide, Malcolm. We've got the, the four Advent candles, and today we've lit joy. And the following weeks there'll be hope and love and peace. These all describe something that's connected to Jesus. Each week we're going to explore one of these four 
Adjectives? I'm not sure if my English is right there. Are they adjectives? Nouns? Nouns! There you go. I failed English, eh? <laughs> but they all describe something about Jesus and his coming. Today we're looking at the first one, joy. In the passage from the Bible we just read, the angel or the messenger from God spoke about a coming joy. He said, you will have great joy and many people will rejoice at the birth of this boy. Now, he wasn't speaking about Jesus. He was speaking about a different boy, wasn't he? But a boy who was going to be intimately connected with Jesus. This boy's birth was going to bring a lot of joy. It's a funny concept, joy. I find it a hard one to describe. But I think it's worth us taking some time to think about the meaning of joy, the reality of joy. Fortunately, as I was preparing today's sermon, um, I flicked back my, on my old sermons and I remember that I gave a sermon on joy just a couple of years ago. <laughs> Do you remember we had a sermon series on the five emotions of, or six emotions of inside out? Yes. Yeah. And in that series, we looked at sadness, fear, anger, surprise, disgust, and joy. And I had the luck of getting joy as the one to talk about. It was actually a really, really good sermon series. I learned a lot about those emotions as we looked at them from the biblical perspective. And as I thought about those emotions when, when first preparing for this sermon, I realized that there was something unique about the emotion of joy compared to the other ones. All of the other emotions, sadness, fear, anger, surprise, disgust, they all happen easily. Really, really easily. What I mean is that those emotions, you don't really have trouble letting them take hold of you. Or at least I don't. We all get sad, sometimes for no reason at all. It's easy to feel scared and anxious without even trying. And we can all explode in anger. At least in my own life, these emotions, they happen really, really easily without me trying particularly hard. I think of my Uncle John, who died a few years ago now. And that gives me an immediate feeling of sadness, that I I can't talk to him anymore, catch up with him, watch movies with him anymore. I think to those times where uh, I've yelled at my kids, (laughs) gone overboard, telling them off because I've gotten so angry. That's an example of both anger and disgust. I've got angry easily and now I'm a bit disgusted. I got so angry. (laughs) If you haven't had kids, you don't realise how easy that is to happen. (laughs) Another one is uh, anxiety and fear. Yeah, they're quite quite cute, aren't they, when they're behaving? (laughs) But that's another one of my emotions that I easily get, anxiety. Probably the, the weakest point in my emotions, I'm sure Nicole would agree. I let anxiety build up very quickly, very easily. Sometimes my worries about very trivial things that don't matter. But other times it's actually about important things like my kids and how they're going. Zachariah certainly felt immediate fear when the angel appeared, didn't he? There he was performing his duties in the temple. He had entered the sanctuary, the part of the temple that was especially holy. That part of the temple where he was very close to where God was thought to be present. When then suddenly, something happens, something huge, a bright flash, I imagine, and this 
colourful, huge, supernatural creature appeared in front of him. An angel. A messenger from God. And the immediate response of Zechariah was fear. Imagine that. God sends a messenger to speak to you. Surely the first emotion someone should have is is excitement, that God wants to talk to you. Or uh, curiosity, what does God have to say for me and my life? Or joy, God is, is wanting to be present with me. Surely those are the responses anyone should have when God sends an angel. And yet, the response of Zechariah was fear. And in fact, in the Bible, in almost every occasion where God sends an angel, the person feels fear. Most emotions just happen without us even trying to let them happen. Fear is a good example. And I think this is a really common, universal human experience. We all just let emotions hit us, don't we? When it comes to sadness, disgust, fear, anger and surprise, we all experience them easily. We don't have to work hard to get those emotions. We don't have to try really hard to feel those emotions. But that's not the case for joy. Joy is different. Joy is an emotion that isn't easy to experience. And that's because these other emotions, like sadness and anxiety and anger, they so easily override joy. They don't have to override joy, but they usually do. They can zap away joy. Take grief, for example. In the face of loss, how can a person remain joyful? I bet that was the case for Elizabeth, the wife of Zechariah. Elizabeth was a woman who knew God, who trusted God. She was righteous in the eyes of God. She followed his commands in life. She must have known she was secure in God's love. And yet, I get the impression from the passage that she was living a life of grief. Grief that was robbing the joy that she should have had. The fact that she had no children was weighing heavily on her. She saw herself as disgraced. Emotions like fear and disgust and sadness, they seem to come so easily and push away the joy that we should have. Unlike these other emotions that are easy to experience, joy is hard to feel. And God knows this about joy. He knows we struggle with our emotions, that we let our other emotions cloud out joy. That's why he explicitly has to tell us so many times in the Bible to find joy, to rejoice. In John 14, Jesus said, don't let your hearts be troubled. In Matthew 6, Jesus commanded, don't be anxious about your life, what you'll eat or what you'll put on. And then in Luke 1, the angel said to Zechariah, don't be afraid. God has to remind us not to let these other emotions take away our joy. Something strikes me about these sort of passages, about how the Bible speaks about fear and anxiety. It doesn't simply talk about suppressing or hiding the emotion of fear. It actually talks about expelling it, getting rid of it completely. I think the Bible contains so many references to expelling fear because God knows we are in need of constant reminders of that. He knows that we're missing out on joy because of fear and anxiety. 
And this isn't how God created things to be. We're not made to be creatures of worry. We're not created for fear. That's what the coming of Jesus is all about. It's about the realising of joy. We were formed for peace, fashioned for joy. Look, from the very beginning, it was God's intention for people to have good things in their life. Look at Genesis 1. How many times in Genesis 1 does God look at the creation and see that it's good? And of course, the culmination of creation in Genesis 1, spoken about in verses 27 and 31, when God had just created human beings in his own image, he looked upon them, all he had made, and saw that it was very good. God made us to be fruitful. He made us to live in communion with him, to walk with him. That's how things are meant to be. The story of creation of the garden paints a picture of joy, of true joy. We were meant to be creatures of joy. And so this world we find ourselves in today, that's an aberration of God's intention for us. We were never meant to march in anger or be paralysed with fear or to fall back in disgust or to sink down in despair. According to the Bible, these emotions weren't in God's original plan. But of course, these are emotions that are here with us all today. And they're here because of us. In a sense, they're self-inflicted wounds, self-inflicted emotions. Anger, fear, disgust, despair, they're here because we ate what God forbade. We've all turned our backs on God. We've turned to our own ways. And in doing so, we've discovered life without God. We've discovered that that's actually much worse than we ever could have imagined. The goodness, the peace, the joy that God gives, we've replaced with fear and anxiety and anger and despair. These negative emotions we feel... They overwhelm the joy that we should feel. The joy that God created for us. But with the coming of Jesus, God is reminding us that life with him is joyful. God brings joy. And so the angel could say to Zechariah, don't be afraid, Zechariah. God's heard your prayer. Your wife, Elizabeth, will give you a son. You're to name him John. You have great joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he'll be great in the eyes of the Lord. He'll turn many Israelites to the Lord their God. He'll be a man with spirit and the power of Elijah. He'll prepare the people for the coming of the Lord, turning the hearts of the fathers to their children, and causing those who are rebellious to accept wisdom and godliness. So the angel spoke about joy, didn't he? People were going to rejoice at the birth of Zechariah's son. Not just Elizabeth and Zechariah to rejoice, but many Israelites. Many Israelites would turn to the Lord their God because of John. John would be a source of joy for many people. That's the promise that was brought. So let's explore that promise, that story a bit more and try to piece together how John could be this amazing source of joy. Luke 1.5 gives an introduction to the parents of John. They were Zechariah and Elizabeth. And both were descendants from the ancient Hebrew priest Aaron. 
So both were from families of priests. And I reckon this is important because priests had a special purpose, a special function in ancient Israel. They were there for a reason. Anyone want to share why they thought priests were there in ancient Israel? What are your thoughts? Neil? Well, they were to appear um, as representatives of the people, between the people and God. Yep. And they had to offer sacrifices for their own sins and also for the sins of the people. Yep. So it didn't fully take away sins. It was like a demonstrated the need just to show what sin was from the law. But it was pointing in the direction of what was coming. Yeah, it's a pretty good summary. Priests were there, weren't they, to help people connect with God in the Old Testament. They would offer sacrifices on behalf of the people so that God would forgive them from their sins, from their stains in life. And so the priests were involved in bringing God's holiness and purity to the people. They were representatives of the people to God. They allowed people to come into the presence of God. In a very significant way, priests announced God's presence among the people. And to become a priest, a Jew needed to be descended from a priest. So any children that Zechariah and Elizabeth would have, would have that capacity to take that special role up of priesthood like Zechariah had. A son of Zechariah and Elizabeth would be able to call people to repentance. He would have the authority to declare God's forgiveness of their sins. Their son would have that special authority to announce the presence of God. But of course, Elizabeth and Zechariah back at the beginning of the story didn't have a son. Even though they were righteous and obedient to God's call in their life, they were there without children. As the passage says, they were very old. So they were probably at the point in their life where they had given up the thought of having children. What do you think? Do you reckon there are allusions here to another story in the Bible, to that of Abraham and Sarah? Feels like it, doesn't it? I think God's setting the stage here to say there's going to be a miracle, something that's not humanly possible, isn't he? I imagine day after day as Zechariah went to serve in the temple and, um, and Elizabeth took care of the house, they prayed for a child early on in their lives. But probably over the years, their hopes started to fade and their prayers might have been fading too. But it's when we pray, isn't it, that God hears us. God hears our prayers. Also, when we pray, that's when we can hear from God. And so that fateful day came when Zechariah was alone in the holy sanctuary in the temple, when with a flash of light, the angel appeared to him and said, God has heard your prayers. God has heard your prayer. Not just Zechariah's prayer, but also Elizabeth's prayer. And the prayer of a great many others. Just a few verses earlier, it had said there was a great crowd praying outside the temple. God hears our prayers. And he answers. He answers, of course, at the right time in the right way. The other thing is he speaks when we pray. The angel came to Zechariah as Zechariah was praying. We can listen to God when we're praying. 
It's the same for us. When we, when we pray, God will speak. We just have to be ready to listen. So for Zechariah, the message was clear. He's going to have a son. A son who's going to herald joy. The angel wasn't talking about Jesus. He was talking about a different boy. He was talking about Zechariah's son, John. A son that was going to come to announce the coming of Jesus. That, of course, was the boy who grew up to be John the Baptist. The man who was specially born just to announce the coming of Jesus. And according to the angel, that was a reason to have great joy. Joy that should have immediately come to Zechariah. Should have overcome his fear. Joy that should have overcome his wife's, uh, his wife's grief. Because through the coming of God to earth, God was going to restore people to be the way he created them to be. To make them people of joy, not people of fear or grief. So I think probably some of us are having great years, very pleasurable years, pleasant years. Others of us might be struggling. You might feel that it's hard to be joyful at this time in your life. Life might be tough at the moment. But according to the message of the Bible, there's a joy that should be experienced today, even if life is tough. Do you know in the Old Testament, joy and rejoice are mentioned 300 times? It's usually in the context of Israel's enemies having been overcome. It's talked about in the context of victory, like here in 1 Samuel 18. Conversely, in the Old Testament, joy is lost when the people are exiled, when they're invaded and driven away from their land. Joy is found then when they're restored back to their land, as seen in Isaiah 35. In the New Testament, joy and rejoice are mentioned about a hundred times. And the term occurs in a way that builds on top of what's already been said in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, joy is spoken about in terms of not just victory, but in terms of the ultimate victory of salvation. Like this verse in 1 Peter and in Luke. With the hope of life With God, with resurrection, eternal life and heaven comes joy in the New Testament. And this joy is spoken about in the present, not the future, but the present. It's a joy that is in the now. And that's because God's work of salvation to the world has already begun. It began especially 2,000 years ago with the announcement to Zechariah of the birth of his son, John. John who would bring joy because he would be the herald for Jesus, the Son of God. John who would call people to turn from their sins, to face Jesus, to receive forgiveness, so they could receive his love, his kingdom, his eternal life. So over the next four weeks leading up to Christmas, we're going to read this story of the coming of Jesus again. It's good to do every year. We're going to talk about hope in a better future that comes through Jesus. We'll remember the love of God seen through Christ. We'll reflect on the peace he brings. And as we do this, we have the chance to receive again the joy that God promises in Jesus. 
But it only happens if we trust God, if we trust his promises, which is something that Zechariah didn't do. When he heard the good news brought to him by God's messenger, he didn't believe. He didn't trust God. We don't need to be like Zechariah. When God makes a promise, we can trust that he'll keep it. When God speaks, we can believe that he will change the world. And if God's promised us joy through Jesus, we can receive it. And if we receive his joy, life is going to be different for us. There'll be no need to let anger consume us if if we've received the joy God bestows on his children. There'll be no need to let fear or anxiety overcome us if we trust God's promise that our names are written in his book of life. The joy God promises doesn't need to depend on the circumstances of our life. In fact, it should never depend on the circumstances of our life. Because joy is intertwined with our trust in God's love for us. This love has no greater demonstration than the incarnation and the atonement. The incarnation, God coming to earth. The atonement, the forgiveness we receive through the death and resurrection of Jesus. These two events demonstrate God's love for us in the deepest, most profound ways. They show us a love that never gives up. A love so strong that God would suffer. He would suffer in dignity and pain so we could know him. So trust in this love and have joy. A joy that can't be overcome by fear or by sadness. Trust in this love and have a joy that can't be lost. As always, it's easier to say these truths than it is to live them, to experience them. It's not always easy to be joyful. I wish it was, but I know it's not. I know we've each got to work at joy. It's a challenge. But don't let that challenge and difficulty of being joyful overcome you. Just trust Jesus this Christmas. Believe God when he promises you joy. Know that he's merciful. You will find joy. And then you'll see that joy grow and spread.